we're in the middle of a series uh, called This We Believe. And we try to do this once or twice a year where we go over a core uh, a doctrine, okay, a core truth that our church believes so that we are equipped, okay, so that we know what the Word of God says about what it is that we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. And this series is on marriage. So we're talking about six different distinctives or six different biblical understandings of marriage uh, that we find in the Scripture. Now listen, this is a very important issue, like I mentioned last week. Okay, this affects our, our culture. This affects society. Uh, the things that I say are going to rub against us. And the reason that it, that it does is because, think about it, we are very saturated in the world and what the world says about life, love, and other mysteries, and specifically about marriage. And so we hear what the world has to say, and the ups and the downs that are involved in that, and then we hear the clear, consistent call of God about marriage. And sometimes it rubs the wrong way, because sometimes uh, facts get in the way of feelings, right? Facts get in the way of feelings so many times. And listen, this message, don't think that, okay, we're talking about marriage. Uh, maybe you're single, you're uh, not yet married or no longer married, that, that this does not apply to you. Listen, no matter where you're at in life, this message applies to you, and I'll specifically speak on that uh, today. Last week, we covered the first three points, if you remember. Last week, we covered that, number one, marriage is defined by God. All right, we used passages to really flesh out this definition, and it was that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Remember that? A covenant, a contract, it seems like one or the other party can get out if they're not doing their duties. But a covenant is like, listen, even if you don't fulfill your obligations, I will fulfill uh, mine. So marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. We also said that marriage is, number two, ordained by God. He is the originator of it. He is the blesser of marriage. God is the one who says that there is a special relationship that takes place when two, a man and a woman, become one. They become one relationally. They become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically. They become one. What a beautiful picture of that we see in Genesis chapter 2. And number three, marriage brings completion. Listen, none of us are meant to navigate this world alone. We need each other. So I want to expound on that with the fourth point today. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Genesis 2. Listen, marriage, number four, marriage is the foundation of family. It is the foundation of Community. Marriage is the foundation of family and community. As you read the scriptures, when you start in page one, all right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through days one through seven. And at the end of every single day, if you've read this, you know how each day ends. And God said, it is good. That's right. It is good. But you remember the first crisis in scripture? You know it, right? The first crisis in Scripture is the first time God said that something was not good. And this is before the fall. This is before Genesis chapter 3 when everything crumbled, when sin entered the world and man and woman uh, rebelled against God by doing their own way instead of His way, listening to another voice instead of God's voice. So even before the fall, 
God said that something was not good. And it was not good according to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I am going to make someone to come alongside him. I'm going to make someone who is of equal value, of equal dignity, and of equal worth. And them two together are going to become complete. And then community will begin. Listen, was Adam utterly alone before Eve? No. Adam was not utterly alone before Eve. He had a great relationship with God. And remember, he had all the animals. Right? He had all the animals. But there was something in the creative order that was missing in Adam's life. Adam was not complete. Basically, Lassie, man's best friend, wasn't enough. We needed something else. We needed someone else. And then God did his awesome work of creating a woman. And Adam was no longer alone. You and I are created for relationship with God, absolutely, and with one another. Now listen, you may be saying, well, I don't plan on getting married. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. You need each other. We need each other. That's why God invented the church. So that people, not only two humans or or more humans, but humans that had the same goals, the same desires, the same heart, the same grace that has been poured out to each and every one of those who call upon the name of the Lord can meet together to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to be there whenever one is weak and the other is stronger. That's what we are meant for, no matter who you are. Whether you uh, have not been married yet, whether you're no longer married, or whether you're right there in the midst of that marriage journey, we need each other. We were built and we were made for relationships. Which is why, if someone says, I have God and that's all I need, apparently God disagrees. The church is mandatory. I'm not talking about programs. I'm talking about the body of Christ. We need one another. But listen, the, the foundational human relationship is marriage. Go to verse 24. Genesis 2.24 says this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So marriage is that covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. And listen to this. It's that covenantal relationship that says, I am staying no matter what. Remember we talked about that last week about the covenant relationship. I am staying no matter what. When couples stand right here, Actually, they move up at this point, but they're holding each other's hands. Actually, I'm the guy, so come over here. Okay, holding each other's hands, and they say these crazy covenantial words. Not contract words, covenantial words. They say, I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife 
that having to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. Let that sink in for a moment. For better or for worse. That covers every time. Good, bad, and ugly. For richer, for poorer. That covers materialistically, no matter where we go, we're going to be together for life. In sickness and in health, no matter what the doctor or the scale says, we are going to be together forever. Until death do us part. Meaning the only time I tell you goodbye is at the graveside. Here's what a contract. Can you imagine a contract? I heard this uh, from, a, from a pastor and it just makes so much sense. Imagine if you heard a contract. Okay, They come together and says, I take you to be my wife as long as you make $60,000 a year. Okay? To which the wife, it's contract, or the husband would go, as long as you keep the same weight. Well, then as long as you, you see how that goes? That's horrible. That's not marriage defined by God. That is no good for community, which brings me to the point here. God made this community, and he made it wonderful in God's beautiful, wonderful, great design. He made one man and one woman to come together covenantially in marriage for life. But here we go. Remember, after every point, we have, we have what, what we have done, how we have messed it up. For everything good that God has made in community, man has disrupted the foundational relationship of oneness by what? By the desire to separate. By the desire to separate. Give your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now I know I'm going to be touching on some uh, very touchy subjects. And so I want to walk through these things. Uh, truthfully and graciously. So let's go here. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is being tested by the religious leaders of the time. That their desire really wasn't to get to, to, to the truth. Their desire was to stump Jesus. To make him say something wrong. And so in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 9, here's what the scripture says. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, well, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Here it comes. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So there's, there's God's heart on the issue. And so then the Pharisees said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Here we go. Divorce. No doubt, this is a tough issue that we face in our world today and even in the church. And listen, I'm going to be so bold as to say this. Everyone in the pew, every one of you in the pew have been affected by this. Every one of us. None of us are exempt from this. It's, it's that prevalent. So in talking of divorce, I want to be very, very clear here. I want to be absolutely true to God's word, absolutely faithful to God's word, and I want to be fully, fully compassionate to those of us who have grieved and rebuilding after divorce. What I want to do right now is I want to share my thoughts on this, on this subject, okay? And my thoughts may be met with disagreement. That's okay. You have the right to be wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, seriously. I, I, I'm still a student at the Word of God, okay? And I'm telling you what I have come to, to see, come to understand from God's Word. And so uh, let, let's kind of walk through this together. And again, if there's disagreement, I, I get it. But just be sure that your disagreement... Uh, is not disagreeing with God's word. If I throw out opinion or something like that, and yeah, absolutely. I'd love to discuss that with you. All right. So I want to tell you my thoughts on um, divorce. And I really break my thoughts into two categories. Number one is a blanket statement. Okay. Blanket statement. And then number two, the grace that is given toward fallen humanity. All right. So uh, I would turn to first Corinthians chapter seven, first Corinthians Chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this. <clears throat> to the married, this is Paul speaking, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. That's, a, that's pretty, pretty clear right there, right? Pretty clear. I give to the marriage, I give this charge. The wife should not separate from the husband. So the blanket statement that I'm going to share with you right now is this. The heart of God for marriage is stay together. Stay together. This was clearly the message in the heart of God from the beginning, right? That's what Jesus just said from the beginning. And listen, if I was counseling somebody who was contemplating divorce, I would begin, I didn't say end, right? I would begin the conversation by being very dogmatic on this issue. Because that is the blanket statement. And then I would cover the six points that we are covering in these three uh, weeks of sermons. All right, I will cover these things. And here's why. Yes, Marriage is a relational issue, no doubt. It's relationships. We already covered that. But it's also a theological issue. Ephesians 2, 22 and following deal with that, all right? The marriage union is a beautiful picture of Christ's relationship with the church. It is more than just a happiness between two people, okay? It is a visual of the gospel. We'll talk more about that when we hit point six next week, all right? 
But, but let's, let's read on. If you are, go back to Matthew and keep, keep it on 1 Corinthians 7, but go to Matthew 19 again. Here's what Jesus says. And again, I'm still on the blanket statement here, all right? Matthew chapter 19, verse 8 and 9. Remember they asked him, Jesus, why did Moses uh, give a uh, writ of divorce? If someone wants to get, can it happen to anyone? And he said, well, no, it can't. Well, then why did Moses do it? Here's what verse 8 says. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then he says, so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Again, the blanket statement. All right, please hear me on this. The blanket statement is you should not separate. Okay, you should not divorce. All right, you should not divorce. To which then you would raise your hand and say, well, I've got some questions. Okay, what about immorality? What about abuse? Or what about uh, being unequally yoked? That's a crazy word, but that means if what if I, in my marriage, I realize that I am married to someone who doesn't uh, have the same faith that I do. I have put my faith and trust in Christ, and I've realized either they've, they've, they've not been honest with me, or maybe they thought that they were saved, or maybe you knew walking into that marriage that the person that you are going to marry is not saved. And I'm here to tell you, let me just be very blunt with you. It takes three years or less, three years or less, for you, if you knowingly marry someone who is not, is not a Christ follower, in three years you will regret it. In three years you will regret it. Because the first three years you still got that bliss. Uh, a lot of times the relationship is, is very surface level. Okay, it's, it's based more on the physical attraction and it's based on even some, uh, emotional, uh, destinations. Okay, y'all like to travel. You like to do this. You like to do that. But after three years, you start saying, all right, here's my future. And then you realize that your spouse is not that way. And then there is struggle in marriage. And don't think you're going to be the one to fix it. That will not happen. So what do you do in these situations? The thing I really want to hit on is abuse. Please hear my heart when I say this. If you are in an unsafe situation, separate yourselves and your kids from that situation. Get out of that situation immediately. Do you hear me? If you are in an abusive situation, you need to separate yourself and your kids from that situation. Because no spouse, man or woman, has the right to abuse you emotionally or physically. Nobody has that right. I beg you, get help. You and your spouse are broken human beings. And you are desperately, just like every other human being, in need of divine help. Church. Church. If you see spousal abuse going on, we are each other's accountability. Call it out for what it is. Does that mean we may lose a family? It's worth it. Church. Me. I love you. If I see abuse in a relationship, I will call you out on it because I love you and I love your spouse. 
If you are involved in that, that just tells me that you are a broken person like all of us and you need help. Because listen, if you continue down this road of abuse, listen, the person that you're married to is a son or a daughter of God. And do you not think the father is going to step in and do something about that? And many times, and hopefully, God will use the church. So if you're in an abusive situation, you need to separate yourself from that situation. If you're in 1 Corinthians 10, let's kind of read this again. I got to go back to the blanket statement, okay? So there's my caveat. All right, 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 10. Paul says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest say I, I and not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, Okay, so now we're talking about unequally yoked, okay? Uh, a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. Uh, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. For any woman who has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is... They're holy. They're holy because you're involved in that, that, that life. Uh, you can be that, that gospel penetrator in your home. So from what I see in that passage, I have to go back to my blanket statement. Again, if you're in an abusive situation, you need to separate yourself from that situation. But the blanket statement is this. From the beginning, God says, stay together. Stay married. And listen, here's why. Because if that marriage can be restored, wow, what a testimony of the reconciling grace of God. It's a small picture of what God has done for you and for me in saving us who were vile and wicked and enslaved in sin. Please hear my heart. Abusive situation, get out of it. Seek help and demand counseling. Now, listen... We have a marriage conference coming up this weekend, a marriage conference. And you may think to yourself, I don't really need that. You know, that's not my thing. Listen, you and your spouse are two that have become what? One, right? If that's true, then listen, if you don't think you need it, but your spouse comes up to you and says, I think we need it, you need it. All right? You need it because you are one. All right? That's not a gimmick to try to get you to come, all right? But kind of it is, okay? You need to come, okay? Every one of us are broken people, and we need help. We need divine help in our marriages, no matter how good we think they are. So I strongly urge you to come. And don't let cost get in the way of that, okay? It's $25, and that covers your food and all that stuff. Don't let that get in the way, all right? Sign that form the end of service. Do that. Now, now that the blanket statement is laid down, God says, do not separate. Stay married. Now I want to give you the grace that I see in Scripture for fragile humanity like you and I. Okay? I want to show you grace here. I want to see what I see in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 19, if you're still there, go to verse 8 and 9. Matthew 19, 8 and 9 says this. 
And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, key term there, that's underlinable, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. I'm going to give you another passage, and I'll tie this all together in a bow. Okay, so Matthew 19, 8 and 9. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 15. After everything Paul just said about the blanket that God gives, then he says in verse 15, If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. You're not bound by that by that marriage. God has called you to what? Peace. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And then a final verse on this topic. Go a little further back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I hope this makes sense to you. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 8. Paul is speaking about widows in the church that the church needs to take care of. All right, If there's somebody that's in your, in your church, in your body, that has no other means of care, then, then the church needs to come together and care for those widows. But sometimes in the church, there's a widow that has family that are also in the church, and they're not taking care of their widow. And this is what Paul has to say about it. He says, 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, because even an unbeliever should take care of their family. Why did I give these passages? Because Matthew 19 says that we have very weak hearts. 1 Corinthians 7 says that unbelievers, if they walk away, you cannot force them to stay. And 1 Timothy 5.8 tells me that if you do not provide for the basic needs of your family, like comfort and protection, this is now me speaking. If you are an abuser of your family... You are just as bad as an unbeliever, okay? And an unbeliever who does not love their wife or husband and you abuse them proving that you are walking away in your heart from that relationship. That is my understanding. Abuse is a desertion of the wedding vows that you have kept. So again... God understands that we have very weak and hard hearts. And some of us, as though the blanket statement, remember? God wants us to stay together. Some of us, though, cannot recover from the devastation that has been placed upon them from sexual immorality. Okay? Your spouse was unfaithful to you. Or maybe desertion or abuse. Again, I believe Matthew 19 declares that God understands this hardness of heart. And so, because of everything that I just said, I'm going to make a very bold statement today. I'm going to make a very bold statement. 
Because if God permits something, and he has, God has permitted. If God permits it, then it's not sin. So with that said, not all divorce is sin. But all divorce is because of sin. I'm going to say that again. Not all divorce is sin, but all divorce is because of sin. As much as the heart and call of God is for us to stay together. And that needs to happen, church. That needs to happen. God knows and he has given us concessions for divorce. Sexual immorality, according to Matthew 19, and desertion, 1 Corinthians 7. And I would take it a step further because the heart of God is in this, 1 Timothy 5, 8, about abuse. Now listen, if you have any questions or confusions about that, talk to me. Remember, I too am a student of the Word, and I'm still learning as I go, all right? But I want to uphold the Word of God, and I want to be compassionate just like Jesus is to the hurting. So the heart of God is to reconcile broken things, broken people, and broken marriages. That's God's heart. That's what we need to strive for as Christ followers. But thank God, He does know our hearts. But please, do not go this alone. Do not go this alone. Get your church to help you to restore this marriage. Which brings me now to number five. Okay, point number five. Marriage is a picture to the world of sacrificial love. If, if that wasn't uh, displayed in what we just talked about, <laughs> okay, sacrificial love is loving somebody who was unfaithful to you. And by the way, with that said, I want to make one comment. This is not in, in, on the screen or anything. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. In my studies, this, this came out and it kind of blew my mind. And I want to share with you because some of us, you feel like uh, either you've been involved in a divorce or your family has. Like my family, I've told you. My dad was married I think five, four times. My mom was married like five or six times. I, I, I honestly lost count. Um, We've all experienced that. And some of us feel maybe that if I've been involved in divorce, then, then God's got this line of people, right? Like these are all the, the people who didn't get a divorce, and these are the people who did get a divorce. Here's the question. Where would God line up in, that, in, that, in, in those rows? Look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah had a spouse. I mean, God had a spouse that was very unfaithful to him. If you're in Jeremiah 3, go to verse 6. The Lord said to me, Jeremiah, in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, speaking of Israel, that faithless one? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore, the prostitute? And I thought, after she had done all this, then she'll return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that all the adulteries and the faithful and the of the faithless one Israel, and I sent her away with a decree of divorce. And in seven twenty two, now this is in the five hundreds, five hundred and eighties. 
Okay, but basically almost a, uh, 150 years before this, he's telling Jeremiah what happened. At 722, I sent Israel, the northern kingdom, I sent them a certificate of divorce. And they were scattered because of the Assyrian army. So if there were two lines here, one that has never been divorced and those who have been divorced, God is in the line of the, of the divorced. He understands where you are. He understands where you're coming from. But listen, here's the heart of God on this situation. Although Judah was doing the same, uh, the same prostitution, the same idolatry, listen to what uh, he says in verse 11. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than Judah. Go proclaim these words to the north. So go back up to Israel. Find anyone in Israel and say this. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. What does that say? So God has been involved in divorce, but God's heart is that Israel would come back. That is the heart of God for your marriage. Heard of God from my marriage. So wherever you're at, God knows and He understands. Now let's talk about sacrificial love. If you have your Bible? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, that's the passage at marriages, right? You hear all the time. 1 Corinthians 13. The definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13. Listen, it's not just love in the general sense. It's, because we're humans, it's imperfect, and it's sacrificial love. The kind of love that this world has no idea what it looks like. No idea what it looks like. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Listen to this definition of sacrificial love. Love is patient and kind. That's what marriages should look like. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love, you know what love does? It bears all things. Not only their own burden, but their spouse's burden. Love believes all things. It doesn't matter if you heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend that she's been messing around. Sorry. You believe all things. Sacrificial love hopes all things. Endures all things. And listen, this type of love never ends. This type of love never ends. This is not what sacrificial love is. When I say this at weddings, I usually cover this verse and I say, listen, you may say to each other, honey, I will die for you. Just don't tell me to unload the dishwasher. 
That's not sacrificial love. All right? That's not. It's, it's, it's not. All right? It's being willing to do whatever it takes to build up, to edify, to encourage your spouse and your children. I'll talk more about that next week when we get into uh, marriage is a picture of the good news of Christ. Okay? But just for today, sacrificial love should be the imprint on every Christian marriage. But it's not. Why? Because we fight against our flesh. In a word, selfishness. The exact opposite of sacrifice. We are a selfish people. The Word of God says that we are to die to ourselves, and we say, yeah, I'll do that for discipleship, but you don't know my spouse. Do you know that your spouse is your disciple? You know that? You love each other, you submit to one another. It's Ephesians 5.21. Next week we'll get into 22 and following. But folks, we, we are to build each other up, not ourselves. Okay? Love does not envy or boast. Love doesn't say, I'm the better spouse. Love says, God, what do you want to do in my life? Here's the opposite of sacrificial love. When you leave here today and you're like, huh, did you hear what he said? He was talking to you. That is not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love says, you know what? I know my spouse has faults. But I want to be a master at my spouse's strengths. So I'm going to tell my spouse, you know what I love about you? The way you do this and that and that. The opposite is, I hate when you do this and this and that. But that's usually how conversations are, aren't they? Sacrificial love desires to edify and to build up. Love is not a fleeting feeling. Did you hear that? It's covenantial, right? Love is a decision of your will. Love is a promise that you make with your spouse. Some people are like, but you don't understand, Pastor Scott. I married the wrong person. Have you been there? Have you heard that before? God's got this one person in my life, and I chose the wrong one. I should have waited a little bit longer. There is is great evidence to prove that that's not true, let me just say it this way. I know exactly, if you're married today, I know the exact person you're supposed to marry. It's the one you said I do to. That's it. That's the one. Now, whether you had lack of wisdom going into it or not, it doesn't matter. The point is you made a covenant agreement with that person. Can you imagine the covenant agreement God made with me? He said, Scott, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm like, you sure about that? I mean, he got the raw end of this relationship. And yet God is never going to let me go. That's what sacrificial love is. The world says, love until you're done. God says, love until death. Now listen. Listen. I'm going to close by the same closing I did last week. What about those of us who have blown it? What about those of us who have blown it? Can I do, of course, the raise of hands again? Say if maybe we can get closer to 100% this time. Okay. How many of you do not have the perfect marriage? 
How many of you have blown it? Yeah, we've blown it. We've made a mistake. So listen, if you're in here thinking, no, 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 you don't understand. I really blew it. Join the club. We are all broken people in need of God's grace. And some of us, though, your brokenness is just a little more public than mine. That's the difference. For that, I want to tell you something. God's got some good news for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, just like we read last week, we know that our Lord and Savior is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as you and I are, yet he's without sin. So with that said, in your brokenness, God calls you, Almighty God calls you to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Many times when we feel broken and we realize that we tend to run away from God. And that's the very time when God says, no, 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 no. You need me most. Come to me. Find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. So I beg you, I urge you today. Maybe you alone or maybe you and your spouse or you and a family member. Whatever it is, whatever brokenness that God may be revealing in your life. Come to Christ. Find healing in Him. And if you do not have a relationship with Him, let me tell you, you're missing out. Because there is a God in heaven who loved you so much, even though He understands your brokenness, your sin, your lying, your misgiving, your lusting, your, your temperament, your anger, all these types of things that are leading you to broken relationships. And Jesus Christ came of His own will, His own desire, and His own love for you to pay your sin debt, to die on a cross for your sins, so that when you stand before a holy God one day, you can stand cleansed because Christ paid your sin debt for you. And I urge you, I urge you by the mercy and grace of God, come to Christ. And for those of y'all that are his, and you feel the weight of that, when you come to him, God tells you what to do. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God says that if we confess, if we agree with God that we're broken, and we call out those sins to him, if we confess our sins, the scripture says he is faithful. Faithful means he'll do it every time. And he is just, meaning that he has the authority and the power to do this. To do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Righteousness. How many of you today want to leave here cleansed by the power of God? If that's you today, don't wait another moment. Let's pray. Father God, God, I know that you're here for a reason. God, you, you, want, to, you want to display your mercy, your love, and your grace toward every person in here who's willing to receive it. So God, I pray right now that during this invitation, God, that you would extend that invitation to every person in this room. Maybe some have, a, have some guilt or some shame in their, in their life that God, that you want them to, to just lay at the altar. God, give them the courage and the strength and the, the will to do that. You have already done 
the, the work, the hard work of forgiving them. But God, they need to receive it. So please help them to, to come and to receive it today. God, I pray for marriages today. We've, we've only gone through five points and some of them have realized, Lord, that, that they're just, they're on their last nerve or they're on their last few weeks. They're almost done. God, would you encourage them to not do it alone? God, that you would speak to them your words of peace and your desire to reconcile just as you've reconciled lost people like us to yourself. And God, those who are in abusive relationships, help them to know, Lord, that that is not your desire for them to do nothing about it. But God, that you would give them the courage to get help. To go alongside their small group or maybe to come to one of, one of our prayer counselors or, or me or whoever. God, that they would receive the help that they need from both parties because both parties need your help. God, I pray for the marriages in this building. God, that we would be displays of your mercy and grace and sacrificial love so that the world would want to know the Christ that we have come to know and love. You've created marriage, the beautiful creation of marriage, Father God, for a divine purpose. Help us to be displays of that grace and mercy in our lives. We beg and plead in Christ's name.